Hey guys, welcome back to Highfinden Hollywood. I'm your senior film and TV editor, Christian Ting, and I have a very special guest to join us on this Thursday morning. Maureen Barusha is a Los Angeles-based writer-director. Her feature debut was the Southwest, South by Southwest arm comedy, Golden Arm, which sold to HBO and premiered in 2021. Her upcoming projects include her second feature, The Prank, with Rita Moreno and Keith David, a horror comedy, Tina's 40th Birthday, and is set to direct Sharon Hogan's Merman. She recently directed an episode on the second season of Saved by the Bell, which is premiering November 24th on the Peacock streaming app. Previously, Maureen was a segment director on Jimmy Kimmel Live for three seasons and started her career with a short film, Abigee, which premiered at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Lastly, Maureen was then commissioned by Sprinkles Cupcakes to create a film series in which she wrote and directed 10 shorts based on their cupcake flavors. Maureen, good morning. First and foremost, tell us how you got started with directing and also where can we find these 10 shorts based on cupcake flavors? I think, you know what, they're online. You can find them on my website <laughs> or on YouTube, I think. But um, yeah, Sprinkles, I, I worked there for like eight years and I got to make 10 short films, which was the most fun because it was basically eating cupcakes and making movies. So you can't get better than that. <laughs> it doesn't get better. <laughs> so I, I mean, I got into directing. I always loved just movies and TV growing up. And so I thought I was going to do theater. I took theater all through high school and but I put on plays with my brother, kind of like that, you know, age old story. But then I took a film class uh, freshman year of college and I, did, I was like, it was a film studies class. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you can write movies and watch papers like I'm in. So I basically changed my life. I changed my major and I did film studies undergrad. And then I went for film, film and TV production. I got my master's at Boston University. And then I came out to L.A. and, you know, I've been grinding it ever since. <laughs> I love it. Um I, I'm feeling some parallels between our life stories, too. I, I came into college as a pre-med major and then kind of fell into the film studies department, which, again, didn't have the robustness of a UCLA or a USC. But once you got the bug, it's really hard to dip out of it. Like, it becomes contagious in so many ways. So, I'm, so I think all of us are very grateful that you made that that pivot and, and continued and pressed on. So Yeah, I mean, there's something about being scrappy. Again, I went to not one of the top four, but you're like, it kind of, it's sometimes kind of nice to be scrappy because you want it more or you're like cobbling things together and it feels like you, I don't know, it feels like, it feels fun that way. Yeah, especially at a time like before, like film got super corporate-y and all these sort of entrails sort of affected how organic and I think authentic the process is. But that's a, that's a story for a, for a different day in a different podcast. But I, I, I'm going to reframe the focus back to you. So tell us, um, how did you guys get involved with Saved by the Bell? Your episode was hilarious, by the way. I, I loved it. Um, can you tell us about your experience working with the production? If you had been familiar, obviously, with the iconic original series to, uh, from, from the get-go and all that? Yeah, I mean, what's really incredible is, you know, even though I, you know, did have a feature and I, I worked on Jimmy Kimmel Live, I had been in trouble, um, I had trouble breaking into TV. And so I was a part of the female forward program that NBC Universal has. So it was really my window into directing television. And I'm so grateful. And it's a, a program that, you know, is a, trying to set gender parity in scripted television. So I was lucky enough to be in the 2000, I think it's the 2001 season with the, with the pandemic, I think. I was like, that's the year. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I made my way to say by the bell. I mean, I, you know, talked with Tracy Wigfield, who is just a genius and incredible person. And 
I actually, you know, of course, was a big, huge side by the Bell fan growing up. So it was really easy to kind of relate to the old show and then just kind of see what they've, you know, they reimagined the new one. Um, and it was, it was, it was a dream come true to like, I mean, really while I was on set prepping from episode, I'm like sitting in the max thinking like, wow, my life has come full circle. I'm, you know, in the place that was such an iconic spot growing up that isn't real, but it is real because I'm here. Um, so it just, it just was, it was amazing. And the whole crew and cast is so incredibly talented. It's such a funny show and they were really welcoming. So it, it really, it really felt so amazing just to get to work and create on that show. I love it. And it's funny. I, I watched Golden Arm and then I watched your episode back to back. So I kind of had like a foray into like the comedic sensibilities that you had inundated with your feature. And it was really cool to see how a lot of these younger actors were just very like game to be, you know, to, 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 to roll with the punches and to capture like that sarcastic, a little bit of that kind of like left of center approach that you have to comedy that I think, you know, benefits like the, the, the overall approach to like making the show work. And, you know, it's, exciting to see that it kind of come to fruition that way. So um, I'm happy to hear that you guys have good experience. You answered my third question, which was basically about your involvement with NBCU's Female Forward, as well as their emerging director programs. And uh, how was that experience overall? Like we had to build some camaraderie with their fellow participants. Did you get to get more within the ingratiated NBC family? What was it overall like? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, it was so I, you know, was we, I was in the program during the pandemic. And I think it is being in the program and getting to just be on Zooms and listening to other directors and all the speakers that they had in the program. It's one of the things that got me through the pandemic because it was it was really like the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it was getting to listen to you know all the speakers. They came in, all the executives would come and talk to us. So it just it really is something that made me look forward to when the pandemic was over. And what was really great is I got to shadow on Superstore. So I got to actually benefit from two NBC Universal shows. Um, and what was so wonderful is that everybody on Superstore was lovely and I got to shadow two directors on that show. And so when the show unfortunately got canceled, it was, you know, I was so super sad, but it ended up bringing me to say by the bell. And so I got to kind of find a new family there. So it was really, it's such an incredible program and it really did a lot, a lot of things that I had been hoping for, for a long time. And that's just by knowing people and having people know me. And I actually have a lot of friends that were past alumni. So it just, and everybody that have, has come out of the program has always said great things. So I felt incredibly lucky to be, to be picked. I love that. And I think it's just like something to say about like creative resilience, right? When everything had to pivot from writer's room to accelerator programs, to page programs, to uh, the Zoom world. I it, I, I know we're, we're, we're housed in a Zoom right now, but like in a perfect world, and I know you're probably based in LA as well, but like having the opportunity to like address, you know, issues and creativity within a face-to-face -face format, I think is so much more ripe and so much more like inclusive. But it's what we've been given and how you've been able to kind of like, you know, navigate these spaces in this changing world. I think just, just a testament to just, you know, pressing on and, and, and being, you know, completely about it and, and, and being resilient. So I love to hear that. I, I detected, you know, since I watched your, your work back to back that, you know, from Saved by the Bell to your feature Golden Arm, I'm detecting like a through line of like a true 80s nostalgia from the title credits to everything involved. Um, just kind of fun question. Like what were some of the, the comedies from that era that like informed your style and your taste? Yeah. I mean, when I think about it, it's, I feel like, I, you know, comedy has, you know, it's what's hard is that comedy is such a broad spectrum, but you're right. Like when you have those specific specificities of which things kind of influence you, you start to see them pop up. But I mean, one, I think as a kid, I watched, I love Lucy the most with my mom. I've seen every episode, like each, like 30 times easily. So I would say like things growing up with like 
I Love Lucy. Actually, Seinfeld. My mom was also like a big Seinfeld person. But I feel like movies, um, Wayne's World is one of a big a big influence on mm-hmm. me, like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And so, yeah, I think there's something that kind of resides in all of those movies that is kind of, and say by the bell on my feature, where it's grounded comedy. Like, you know, you really feel yeah. like honest feelings, but there is some element that is, you know, heightened. And so it kind of gives you that extra punch. And I really think comedy is working its best. And I think, again, Saved by the Bell does this so great is that it's grounded. It feels real. But but because it feels real, you get to kind of go to heightened places and the comedy hits harder. You know, it's a little edgier. So those are always things that I gravitate toward. I love it. This, this, this is segueing is so nice because the one thing that I had anticipated you saying was talking about the most rewarding moments in comedy and just kind of thinking about Golden Arm. I think there's this rewarding, those like those smaller, like tossed aside banter that you work into each cut that you do, you know, and when you have a cast like, you know, Mary Holland, Betsy Sodaro, Dot Murray Jones, Aparna, like the, the, Eugene, the whole gang, having people who are down for that and are able to really like, ring it and maximize the utility of the comedy it just it's hard to explain but when you see it and when it's done consistently i think it, it it's impactful and it, it's rewarding for the audience to see how it plays out like it's it, sometimes it reminds me a little bit of like you know a little bit of nathan for you a little bit of that kind of like slight cringe comedy but like you you cut just enough before like you lose people that it it, it works in succession so i'm I'm really just seeing how that is informed by like, clearly like you have a whole Rolodex of inspirations from the eighties to the nineties till today to, you know, create your contemporary taste. That's awesome. And honestly, like, you know, there are, there is a whole litany of genres that people can explore and have opportunities, but like why comedy seems to be the through line. So like what drew you to that as sort of like your, your mainstay. And I I guess as a leading question to that is like, how do you think the genre has like adapted, you know, for better, for worse, you know, in, in recent years? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I definitely like love playing, I, you know, I, I write things that are drama and, you know, direct in both, you know, lanes. But I feel like what the thing that's like about comedy is that it can bridge all of the genres. Right. And to me, whenever comedy, comedy is really infused in everything, no matter what. And so for me, I think no matter what story you're telling, if you can infuse comedy into it, I think you can actually reach. I think you can reach more people. Like one thing I love about comedy, as opposed to like a drama is sometimes when you're watching a comedy you're, you're more open because you're waiting to laugh. And so then when something actually hits you deep inside, it goes deeper. And so I think that that's what's so incredible about comedy is that it can be unexpected. And when you, you're laughing and then you like get a real moment, you're like, oh, that was like, you know, bittersweet or like that hurt a little bit, but then I'm back to laughing. So I feel like it's the thing that really like makes you feel something. <laughs> um, so that's why I think I love comedy. I also think that again, there's just so much, there's so many different kinds of comedy. I'm, I love genre. So like I said, my new movie is like a, a, like a comedy thriller. I think to me, what's so cool is that nowadays, I think comedy has adapted to fit in different genres. So you have something that is a com- like a comedy thriller or comedy horror. And then, you know, you have like a comedy sci-fi. So I hope that the, uh, as we kind of go along, more things are infused with comedy and comedy kind of leads the charge. Instead of calling something like an action comedy, it's like a comedy action. Because um, I think, I, I just think the comedy bridges yeah. all of the gap. <clears throat> I think it's also very telling from like a sociological standpoint, like the the need and the requirement to have levity in, in, in a time and an era where I think a lot of us have been challenged to like find joy. I, I want to get too like mushy mushy, but I think that there is like a very instrumental role that genre and fiction plays in like instilling people with that, like 
that happiness and to, to be kind of tasked with that feels like a larger social responsibility beyond just being a director. So like, it, let, you know, I'll set the table, like comedy is way harder to do than, than drama, like bar none. So like the, the sort of the entry points and like the, the success rate is, is always being in consideration. But I think, you know, when you are able to see a genre as elastic and expansive instead of just being rigid, I think, like so much of like my formative taste was was sort of grown in like the 2000s era of like the frat comedy and that we're seeing kind of like a new blooming happening right now where people are are okay and comfortable with being experimental and being bold and being idiosyncratic so and honestly that's like what i think is so great about say by the bell is that it is again this reimagining it's kind of taking there's a nostalgic element to it but it's taking the past and kind of re-examining it with like comedy and humor and kind of looking it's like a, a you know a mirror to ourselves so I, I, that's what gets me so excited about kind of the, these new, this new wave of comedy. Yeah, it, it's, I think it's proof that like, there's still like, there's more in the engine than, than, than people think. And, you know, we, I think right now they're like, from development side and studio systems, like there's definitely like an enthusiasm around like remakes, 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 and like taking established IP, but the sensitivities around, like you said, like remixing it and giving it like a revisitation or. Or just like, yeah, the, like a new generation. I mean, that's what's so great about this, you know, say by the bell is that this cast is like incredible. Like there's everybody in it is so funny. It's a different story. But again, you, if you're, you know, if you're a fan like me, you can like laugh <laughs> at the jokes that are kind of buried. And then a younger generation doesn't even, doesn't even get those jokes. They get all the other yeah. jokes. So that's the thing when something can be multi-layered and just kind of, that's when it, to me, it's like, it's the most exciting. Cause you're just like, yes. And it's hard to describe, but you're like, it's just funny and entertaining and so I'm about anything that does that for me is that surprises me, makes me laugh, but also like in some way kind of wraps something, some kind of like, you know, some kind of little observation about society inside of it. Yeah. And it's not like heavy handed or pedantic because like that to me, I, I feel like cause we're, we're, we're arriving in a very kind of curious age of like social accountability and justice. And oftentimes when it's interlaced into like fiction as well as like entertainment, there is a feeling where it becomes a bit sort of like performative or there's sort of like a ham-fisted nature. So it's... Yeah, people can sniff that out right away and you're just like, oh yeah, I don't really want to... I just want to watch something that makes me laugh. And then when good storytelling is just really singing, it's it's doing that and you don't even know. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of storytelling, you know, you've obviously been directing for at this point over 10 years now in film and TV. I'm curious, so as like a retrospective sort of like look back, What's changed for you with respect to like opportunity awareness for like new stories and appetites for like inclusion and diversity since the time that you started? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, you know, it's so funny when you say that, I'm like, oh, what has changed? I think one of the things for me that's changed is I feel like the collective. I feel like I've been a, a, in, in a part of the DGA for a while now, and I'm a, like an alternate co-chair of the Asian Steering Committee. I'm a part of the Women's Steering Committee. And I think it's just, to me, has been collecting my peers and like talking with them. And I feel like I have a really great just kind of fabric of other directors that, that I talk to that, you know, we talk about, you know, again, like making sure that the stories that we're telling, like how can we push together as a group to make sure that new voices are coming to the forefront and we're telling kind of stories about unrepresented people. Uh, again, I come, I'm like half Irish, half South Asian. So I always feel like stuck in the middle. Um, but I think one thing that's great is that I always have a mind for like the other because I think I have always felt like other in, in each group. Um, and so I think it's just really important that those stories get told and that these new perspectives, because, you know, what do you say? There's only like eight stories that are ever told. But to me, it's if there's yeah. eight stories, 
you know, those are different prisms that you can tell that same story through. So that's how we stay fresh and relevant. And we make sure that we're telling stories that matter. I was, you, you must be clairvoyant because you literally like took the words out of my next question, which was like, are there any like cultural caches that are pulled from your personal identity being, I think on your website, it's like Irish Catholic. I'm also Catholic as well. So I resonate with that, even though, <laughs> um, and half uh, Indian Pakistani that have informed or have inspired like what type of stories you want to tell with those specific identity caches. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my mom, like, yeah, my mom is Irish Catholic. She comes from a big family, one of seven. And my dad, Indian, Pakistani, Muslim, also one of seven. Um, I think like to me, I love telling stories again about characters that are kind of torn between either spirituality or their identity because I think, you know, one growing up in America, that's, that is the American story. I feel like just your identity of like, how you relate. And to me, that's, that's such an interesting story. And there's so many, there's so many people that are mixed and that's what makes, that's what makes us great. I think is that is our complexity and our richness in that way. So for me, it's, I have a couple of things that I'm writing. I'm writing a a sitcom with my brother about growing up in our kind of crazy family. Cause again, my Irish side grandmother and my Pakistani Indian Muslim grandmother were always kind of like vying for our souls as kids. (laughs) Um, so it really makes you question and like really be introspective about like what's going to happen to me after I die. But again, coming from it as with a comedy lens is the only way to really explore that. Um, but yeah, I feel like just growing up in my house and also just kind of the, our big families, it's just, there's always a character to draw from. And there's, there's so many complex people in our family that are struggling with identity. And I think that that's to me always the stories that I gravitate toward and I want to keep telling. Yeah. And, you know, I was especially gravitated toward just like you're standing, you know, being one of maybe like the few like South Asian female directors that are working in a consistent capacity um, because like our our viewership at Hyphen is primarily Asian American. Like what type of advice or sort of like, you know, discussions would you want to have with aspiring young women who are looking to direct and primarily be in that capacity in entertainment? Yeah. I mean, to me, it is really about like put doing it. It's putting in the hours, you know, whether that's, if you're just starting out, it's just figuring out a way to like gather some friends. You know, what's so great nowadays is you could, you could shoot a movie on an iPhone. So to me, it's just like going out and doing the thing and being the thing that you want to be. Uh, that's, you know, for me working at Sprinkles Cupcakes, I left kind of the industry to go work at Sprinkles because no one's going to ever see you in that capacity unless you're doing it. Right. So you just go out and make stuff. You tell your stories, whether it's writing, whether it's, I took classes at UCB, Um, you know, I think there's always way to just get your story out and be creative and find your tribe. Because I think that's the other thing is like finding the creatives that, that get you excited, that you can make things with writers and actors and crew members, like that you just want to get together and and make stuff. Um, that's how, that's how I would start. Um, but then that being said, there's so many programs like Female Forward that, you know, that it's one of the first in its kind to actually guarantee an episode. So, there's programs out there you can that you can do. There's writing festivals. So I would just do the thing and, you know, kind of pound the pavement. And again, what's so great is that I think that there is an awareness and a lot of people like myself are trying to, like, help bring up the next people because there's room at the table for everybody. And I, I would never get stuck in that. Like, it's changed, I think, or it's changing. And um, I don't feel competition. I feel camaraderie with my fellow directors, especially women, especially South Asian women. Um, so it's just exciting. I feel like it's like a really great time to kind of like be breaking into the industry. You clearly have like the full Rolodex of just what's out there because like the gospel is in the streets. And I think oftentimes when people are first starting out, they're they're like, 
there's sort of this intimidation around just how massive, but also how insular Hollywood is to, to finding an entry point. But the reality is like, I think what we're seeing, especially like in light of a lot of sort of like breakthrough moments that have happened within the Asian American span of entertainment, that there's an appetite and there's like a consistent demand to see that type of representation. So, you know, I'm not saying it's like lighting the ball, but there's definitely like a moment that's continuing to happen. It's not, it, the one hasn't passed. And so it's, I think it's I mean, almost, that's what's yeah. so incredible about like being, you know, South Asian or Asian American is that it's, it's so, it's so layered. There's so many, you know, whether you're from India or Pakistan or Korea or China, or it's like the, the, you know, the expanse of that is huge. And so we need way more stories to tell the complexity that is the Asian American experience. And there's, there's not enough, right? So that just means that we need more storytellers coming forward with their stories that are detailed and, you know, exciting. And I think that's really what's going to change the industry is just more storytellers being like, here's this unique story from my perspective. I love it. Speaking of which, that's a good leading to our next one is, can you tell us like what stories are you working on next? And like, again, do you have any like pipe dream 80s nostalgia products that, that we should be aware of that are in the work say anything that's baking right now? Yeah, I just I'm just finishing up a movie with Rita Moreno called The Prank. Like I said, Keith David's in it. Um, also, Ramona Young, Connor Collapse's star in it. And it's it's really fun. It straddles this line of this weird tone. It's comedy and then it becomes a thriller and it's unlike you've ever seen Rita Moreno. So I'm very excited for people to see That's that. That's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, doing, I'm doing that and I just, again, writing a movie with Mary Holland and Betsy Sodaro that Merman is producing. Um, and right now I'm trying to direct more episodic and get my next feature going. Um, there is a movie that I, I did a long time ago, a short called Movie My Machine that I'm working on a feature version of, and that's very 80s nostalgic, um, kind of mind bending. So hopefully hopefully that will come to fruition. And again, writing stories about growing up in my weird, crazy house. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that alone, that premise between like the, the your parents being one of seven, one of seven, just like the intersectionality and the cross sections that like, it's um, what I'm telling you, Marino. It, it, it's so ripe for adaptation and for introspection because of just how 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 unique it is in terms of like a tandem. So yeah, I'm, and how they're just like they're crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the fact that they made it work and that like we, yeah, it's like it shouldn't have happened, but it's it's one of my greatest gifts. I think is that my parents really showed how you could be from different cultures, different religions, practice your own, but then you know bring these two kind of families together, and it just somehow works. So I'm really grateful. Somewhere <laughs> in the mix, a, a controlled chaos, if you will. <laughs> um, it has been such a pleasure. I, I want to thank Maureen for stopping by today and, you know, just sharing the community gifts and advice for our, our viewership, uh, just as, as sort of a, a, a recognition. You know, be sure to check out her directed episode of Saved by the Bell, which is premiering again November 24th on Peacock. Um, as well as Kat getting her feature debut, Golden Arm, which is available on demand. Um, Maureen, it's been such a delight and such a great wellspring to my morning to chat with you and hear your stories. And congrats once again on all your success. And we look forward to having you back. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye.